Welcome to the Relaxed Running Podcast, the show that helps runners and athletes in running-based sports transform the way they run. Here's your host, Tyson Popplestone. Happy Friday, ladies and gentlemen, and welcome back to the Relaxed Running Podcast. I hope wherever you are, the sunshine is shining like it is here in Victoria. Well, I should say here in Point Lonsdale, the sun's shining. I've been in the backyard with my two-year-old boy chasing after our six new chickens, trying to get him into the coop to eat their food. We're just having fun, keeping him fit and agile, certainly entertaining. It's like free babysitting. If you're not here to hear about chickens, you're here to talk about running, I hope. Otherwise, you've got the wrong podcast. If you are here to hear some running conversation, then you're in for an absolute treat today. I'm joined by a friend of mine by the name of Mark Thompson. Now, if you were in Victoria or Australia during the mid-90s to the mid-2000s, or the first half of the 2000s, you probably know this guy. He was an absolute stud on the track. He ran 13.36 for 5K. He was also a world cross-country representative, world junior cross-country representative. It's a really, really solid junior runner. And one of the things that I was keen to talk to him about today was his junior running and how he got so good so quickly. We wanted to chat about some of the training mistakes that juniors make, some of the training things that are ignored for young athletes and older athletes for that matter. We go into what it was like with him training with some of the East African athletes, Ethiopians who moved over to Australia. And we talk about some of the the secrets or insights that these guys left him about the way the East Africans train in comparison to the way that we do it. We go down a few rabbit holes and we talk a whole lot about technique and training and recovery and just what it was like racing at that time. It was a really, really good chat with a bloke who's clearly passionate about running. I'm going to introduce him in just a moment. But before we do, do you know the most popular podcast episode ever here was the guided 30-minute audio run, which blew my mind because we've had some absolutely amazing athletes on here. But I was looking at that a few weeks ago, and I thought, okay, well, there's clearly something there that you guys are interested in. So I've decided, just in the name of um, you know keeping this place more interviewee, to create a Patreon which focuses specifically on guided audio runs. Now, we've only put up I think four runs there so far, but I'm going to add new runs every week. And obviously, whenever there's bonus content or bonus interviews or whatever, which honestly, I'm not aiming to use it for that. It's more going to be the guided runs. They'll go there, the uh, the bonus content. So if you're interested in any of that, I've added a link in the show notes for you to go and check it out. Um, it's all in US. I'm not sure what it is. There's one that's five bucks a month. That's just to get access to all the guided audio runs. The other one is to get access to our full range of training programs and some personal assistance with me on a coaching thread there. So check out the link in the description. But for now, hey, let me introduce to you for the first time on the Relax Running Podcast, my friend, Mark Thompson. Oh, it's good to have you on. It's funny, actually, that I'm sitting here speaking with you now, because a couple of weeks ago, as you know, we caught up for a nice little breakfast with our wife and our kids. And my wife had been saying to me, she goes, babe, you got to come out because I'm catching up with a couple of friends. And apparently the bloke is um, a, a fan of running, like he's a bit of a running fan. He'd love to meet you. And I said to her, I was like, oh, yeah, awesome. And I thought I was coming out to meet like a, an up and coming runner who had just started his journey. And I thought I'll come out there and I'll help him out with any running questions and see if I can just point him in the right direction. And man, it was so funny sitting at the table with you and I just did a little bit of prying and prodding to find out a little bit about your running history. And very early in the conversation, I said, oh, like, what are some of your highlights? And you go, mate, well, when I won the Nationals, <laughs> that was a pretty big achievement. I thought, hang on a second. I think <laughs> I'm out of my depth in this situation. So it was such a funny, uh, it was such a funny event. My wife, uh, Jessie and I were laughing on the way home, just going, mate, like, you got too much of a big head thinking you're going out there to help him. I was very humbled very quickly. So, dude, it's um, it was good to catch up with you. It's good to have you on here as a uh, as an official, good, legitimate runner. <laughs> well, thanks, mate. I think my ego's just uh, been pumped up there a bit because it's been a while since I've been associated really on the uh, on the on the upper end of that. So, um, <laughs> so thanks. You know, um, there's a few more grey hairs these days. So it it really um feels like it was a bit of a past life um I still still run of course for health and fitness side of things but um far from being able to say uh yeah um I'm a contender for any national championship again that's for sure even though there's people the same age as me who are nailing it um Sinead Diver you know like people like that I just I, I scratch my head when I hear stories about um yeah people like Mont- Montegetti obviously is, is is another uh, anomaly um, in the whole scenario there of uh, anti-aging, I think. <laughs> so. 
So funny. I think were we speaking about that when we caught up? Sinead Diver's an interesting one. Hey, like what's she? Forty seven. Ah, uh, I I think she's forty five. Um, look, don't quote me. And sorry, Sinead, if um I've added any onto it, but uh, if if uh, it is more accurate with Tyson, I'm looking better. So. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's right. I also uh, submit my submit my apology to Sinead as well. That was an unreal run that that she did. It's strange the the distance running world, isn't it? Because all of a sudden I start getting excited. I've been out of the sport officially. Like I'm obviously like yourself, still run to keep fit. And um, I'll tell you about this soon. But I, I think I'm going to run the Melbourne Marathon this year because I feel like I've got a little bit of unfinished business there. After I I just died so hard in the second half of that in in 2018. We could talk about that soon, but. I hear about stories like Sinead and even look at Mona, as you mentioned. It's pretty mind-blowing what these guys are achieving, even at, uh, even I don't want to say even at some old ages, but compared to the elite-level athletes that you're usually speaking about, like your mid-40s and, I mean, like in regards to Mona, I think it's pretty safe to say he's getting a bit old now. I think he would even claim that, wouldn't he? <laughs> and, uh, actually, I think he's lapped it up because he's breaking all the age group records now, but I thought, all right, Tyce, you're only 35, mate. Maybe there's a maybe there's a second side to your career here. But when when did you officially finish up? Um, oh, officially, I think it's probably similar in a way to when Mona's announced his retirement. He seemed to just continue to achieve amazing things post professional running um, days. So for me, I, I would say I changed focus um, and, and the intensity of my focus when I was probably around 25 years of age. Um, and for a while there, I was probably in a bit of denial, thinking I was going to be able to really uh, blend the two uh, lives where I was trying to get uh, a professional uh, career started, I suppose, with with um, uh, teaching and, and then be able to uh, also perform at the highest level I could um, with the running. And, and <clears throat> yeah, the body started to... Um, scream at me in different ways with niggly injuries and yeah I I guess yeah 25 probably was where things changed a lot for us but don't get me wrong I was I felt like I had a pretty lengthy career up to that point because um, I really gave the junior running um, everything I had because I think we were talking the other day in regards to this it's, it's a time in your life where you've just got everything to put into it so um you know like I know that school is um, you know a, a big routine that people are um, that saps up a lot of your day as a junior athlete, and depending on how serious you are with the school, that would have varying levels of stress on it. But for me, I was pretty hyper focused on on running because I just I was just passionate about it from from square one. You know, like just really enjoyed the combination of rewards that it gave, and yeah. So um, for me, uh, I, I probably got pretty serious with it when I was like putting everything you know heart and soul into it from around you know 15 probably 14 15 years of age just really getting stuck into it and um certainly not like the uh, the quantity of training increased um as my body got stronger as a young adult and then um I suppose yeah it was I, I look back on the junior days as fondly as I do my senior running days as well so yeah up to 25 and then Probably felt like I was getting a bit long in the tooth <laughs> around there, but no realities of of life kicked in there. I think a lot of elite athletes um, have to make a decision somewhere along the line, um, and we're all probably throwing the dice a little bit in whatever decision you do go with there. And I've got I've got all utmost respect for those athletes that continue to persevere um, and back themselves, and and you know put everything on the line it would seem um uh for for the achievements thereafter but for me um i i I felt a fair bit of weight around the age of 25 with um with that because it's a a lifestyle where you're trying to put everything into yourself it's quite you know wouldn't be the first athlete to look at it as a fairly narcissistic type of um activity um when you when you're really trying to get the absolute best out of yourself um, so yeah, for me, I, I, I felt, um, like I needed to balance that out with the, um, people I had in my life and, um, and, and, you know, take care of my future self a little bit there and start putting, uh, you know, a fair bit of effort into developing my career, which I hadn't done a huge amount of up to that sort of point. Like I'd started university as a mature, stu- mature age student, 
at about, I think, the youngest you could be classified as a mature age. I think I was like 21, 22. Um, but, uh, yeah, once graduation started approaching, I knew that, you know, you've got to make one commitment or the other. Um, so that's that's where it went for me. So 25 sort of started to wind things down. But, yeah, look, yeah, most as you may um, appreciate, we're always not far from a comeback as as a past you know, runner who's had a few glory days. <laughs> so we're always planning a next comeback. So It's very true. It's very true. I was out there this morning. I did a 30-minute tempo session. And I was running home just doing the cool down. And I thought, gee, I'm still a good runner. <laughs> and I, I could just feel, I could feel that voice in the back of my mind going, go on, Ty, have one more shake. And I'm not, I'm actually a lot more passionate about working with the athletes that I'm coaching now in yep. like a whole range of running sports than I am about actually being out there running. But it's nice to have something that when you've invested so much time in, when you get back into it, it's amazing how quickly the, like your body just responds to it. And it's funny hearing you speak about, yourself feeling a bit long in the tooth at age 25 because I'm 35 now and uh, I actually once I caught up with you the other day I called a good mate of mine who used to also run for Glenn Huntley I said hey here's a name for you and I wanted to challenge him because he's always been pretty good with stats I said Mark Thompson said I caught up with him for breakfast today he goes mate I reckon he was a gun junior I reckon he ran some incredibly quick times as a senior Um, and I didn't realize how much of a rich rich junior kind of career that you had like you were you kept the information pretty tightly to yourself the other day not because it was a secret just because you're not as arrogant as I am which is probably part of the reason you are uh, succeeded so much more in your running than what I did but it was uh it was kind of interesting and, and we were speaking about this ourselves myself and James saying it's interesting the different levels of development with athletes because as a junior, I sort of was raised on this idea that you, you obviously you don't want to be doing so much that your body can't handle it. But it is interesting coming across certain athletes in the junior ranks like yourself um, and to chuck another real good quality athlete in there, Jacob Ingebrigtsen or Jakob Ingebrigtsen, who's, who's won the Olympic champs now and what's run 328 or something. Yep. He seemed to have a, a pretty serious training routine as a youngster and also some pretty incredible results. But I was keen to hear a little bit more about that because I, I didn't know whether it was just a junior freak ability and you were training pretty much the same as what other athletes were or whether you were really knuckling down as a junior and that's part of the reason that some of these big results came out. Yeah, um, yeah, good question. Uh, you know, it's it's probably all I could put it down to is what I experienced and um, it's certainly not the be-all, end-all um, and this is the way it is kind of um, uh, conversation here. I, I think, you know, as you would have realised over the years, you know, um, we're dealing with individuals in this individual sport. So there's a lot of um, things that are, you know, spinning that you've got to try to align and, and um, balance out. And for me, um, I've always been very passionate as a, as a runner, like, and I felt, and sport in general, just really kind of wear the heart on the sleeve with what you put it into the sport and what you get out of it, I suppose, in return. Um, and so, yeah, I just loved, loved running. I, from square one, I suppose, as a young kid, I, I was, you know, I do suffer probably, as a lot of distance runners probably do, um, uh, little man syndrome a little bit. Because <laughs> um, I'm, I'm, uh, I'm, I was never the tallest, the strongest, the fastest, yet, gee, I tried. I tried so hard in everything I did, like, I remember turning up to um, at Little Athletics when I was about grade one. Mum took me along to the local Little Athletics and, you know, I tried so hard and uh, got into the, I think it was the hurdles. So straight away, if it was something to do with height, getting over these hurdles, I was always going to be a bit challenged. But uh, I think I came dead last in the hurdles race, got back in the car and said to mum, I'm not going back, <laughs> you know. So it wasn't, it wasn't something that um, I was good at with the sprinting. Like I think we probably see sports where being the fastest and the strongest when we're young tends to be rewarded um, a lot. And that's what I think when I finally discovered the middle distance, distance running, cross-country type running events, there was, I tried just as hard as I did in all the other ones, um, all the other sports that were available, you know, traditional crickets and the footballs and the basketballs. And I loved all those sports, Um, but the same effort, all of a sudden I was, ahead of people and being competitive at the pointy end and um yeah like first experience was running school cross country here 
in Ararat um, in year seven and um, guys that I would normally say would just wipe the floor with me. Um, I was easily beating them and that that just sparked something. I was right, all this effort into something that actually is rewarded, that was a no-brainer for me. So I, I started putting that same kind of effort into it and, um, it, yeah, it's hugely shaped my identity in those years of you know, um, adolescent development, I suppose, because I had something I was really proud of and um, luckily um, I'd put my efforts in the right spot and um, the rewards sort of started to come in. And so, yeah, it was a, it was just something I, I, I didn't look back with, I suppose. And I had a coach um, back in the day who he was, um, he was, he'd already established a very, very good running group um, in our, in our junior days. And I was lucky to be a part of it. And uh, I often say to the people locally, um, when I mention his name, his name was Kevin Maple. And um, if if any of the listeners are from a professional running background, meaning the stall gift pro running kind of background, um, they would know Kevin Maple if they or know someone who did know Kevin Maple. Um, and he'd had his whole running group was based around the um, all the gifts that uh, Victoria um, would run each year um, throughout the. Uh, the summer season so I was lucky to come along to this group and just see how good uh, middle distance running could be when you know little old town of Ararat um, you know we've got about 10,000 people in Ararat and you know I'd turn up to the local um, football ground the main football ground Alexandra Oval and we'd have in excess of 20 people running around doing intervals and um, you know doing reps of some description in short um, middle or long long intervals and um, they were doing this, you know, Monday through to uh, they'd have one day, one day off a week, which was Sunday. So, but it was just there every night, five o'clock, and I just felt like I found my thing. So, um, you know, I, they were there. Of course, I was going to be there, and um, at that that routine just um, we were lucky. It wasn't just a, a bunch of senior athletes. We had already a, a, a number of junior athletes had started to turn up to our running group. And <clears throat> you probably know uh, a couple of names that we were able to develop as budding young athletes and probably the ones who have sort of walked away from our running group back in the day in our little old Ararat was uh, a guy called Philo Saunders. Um, oh. And Philo and I were only about a year and a half difference in age. He's a little bit older than me. So we shared our junior running years, traveling down in cars and jumping on planes to national, you know, championships and, you know, um, just uh, help one another out. Another out. And, um, and another one is Paul Fenn, who um, he, he's, um, if you, if probably, if you visualize the dynamic that probably Steve Montegetti and Lee Troop sort of had as he, as as uh, senior athletes, um, probably Paul and myself had very similar kind of dynamic between us um, as juniors, and so we really pushed each other along. He was the younger, so I was always the chased in the in the uh, in the training partnership, and um, he he rapidly got better and better till we until we both sort of started really competing um, pretty solidly with one another. So um, <clears throat> there were a number of others in our group. Um, and uh, for those runners who are out there um, who, are, who are probably, you know, keen into the running, there's a few um, people on Strava and Instagram that are, um, you know, quite well um, followed, if you like, in that terminology. And um, there's a guy called Benny the Runner, um, and uh, he's, he's a guy from Warrnambool that's just, um, he's, oh, I think, you know, his name's Ben Wallace, and he's he basically an incredibly talented athlete as a young guy. And he was another one to come out of our group, and it's just great to see. He's probably seeing some of his best years of running now in the in the um, twilight of his um, age bracket. But yeah, so look, going on a bit here, but um, <clears throat> yeah, plenty of good stuff to excite a young young athlete, um, and you know, a mix of wisdom and and a little bit of youth um, passion, if you like. So yeah, yeah, it's always amazing hearing about um, the the little factors that get an athlete to drive themselves really hard. And I was wondering whether you had an early taste of success because one of the things that I noticed was like outside of sports, I, 
as a as a young fella especially like I, I don't think I was especially disciplined there was no um, teacher at my school who would have said I was an incredibly hard worker and had good structured plans and that's why I got <laughs> such good results it just wasn't a conversation and then I remember I was playing football up until I was probably 14 and I was in WA and I was doing a fair bit of running just to to keep fit and I went over there for the the WA state champs and like the audience has heard this before but I remember going out there and, and, and racing against some boys that I knew were pretty good runners and managing to beat them in the first state champs I ever ran. And all of a sudden, my mind, mindset went from like, this is something that I might just try and have a little dabble in from time to time to, all right, like, what do I need to do to get really, really good at this? And pretty quickly, um, the, the discipline and the structure and the questions and the coaching and uh, like the obsessive compulsive nature of <laughs> distance running sort of kicked in for me. And one thing that I look back on my junior running career with, with, with just so much, um, I guess, gratitude is the word, is the fact that it, it kind of just forces you to to become structured and to become curious about what makes you better, isn't it? Because it's one of those sports that you just can't hide. If you haven't been putting in the work and you haven't been consistent, then it's going to be revealed pretty quickly that that's the that's the truth. And I don't know if you're the same, but as I've gotten older now, like whenever there's a challenge or whenever there's something that's causing frustration, I kind of refer back to my running structures. I'm like, all right, am I being consistent? Am I focusing on the actual elements that I really need to be focusing on to improve here? Like what are the areas that um, running sort of transitions across to in, in this regard? And it's amazing how beautifully sport just can serve as a bit of a platform to the rest of your life. And it was really interesting. I'm, I know you've got a couple of kids and another on the way and I've got two boys and one thing that I'm really keen for them to get involved in is, you know, for selfish reasons, probably footy or running, but some form of sport just to learn those lessons. Cause it's all good to have your dad breathing down your neck going, all right, mate, like here's what's really important. But then it's not until you get a bit of a taste of that, that success that you, you sort of take it on yourself. Well, that was my experience. Like, did you, did you notice that like that correlation between a, a little taste of success and just how quickly you, you know, you got quite serious about your running. Cause some of the times, or, or some of the experiences that you had, like with World Juniors and things, suggest you were probably training pretty, pretty solidly as a young fella. Yeah, definitely. <laughs> we were we were training <clears throat> hard. Um, I think <clears throat> what was important though to understand with what we were doing um, was, it, you know, and, and for your listeners, it's you know, everyone's there's the great debate of volume versus or quantity versus quality. You know. Um, <clears throat> As juniors, I think it's just so important to nurture the speed technique aspect of the running. Um, we all love running for the way it makes us feel and, and a lot of us um, love to f- um, feel like we're running fast, fluent and relaxed and And I think that combination of what we did was, was, was fantastic. And it wasn't just all – I had a coach who didn't sort of think he had it all worked out from the get-go – he had his structures. Um, he had his sort of template that was our our go to. But there's no doubt, over the years that I was involved with Kevin, we were able to develop those with what influences uh, I was exposed to, and and um, you know I was lucky to be uh, recognised for some of the um, uh, achievements that I was doing, uh, uh, sort of getting at that time, and and then get you know into these development camps and. They were just awesome. I'm like a big fan of um, running camps to go away, get focused, and then take what you learn from these um, development, um, uh, you know, um, junkets almost, <laughs> mm-hmm. where you just go and you just take on as much information as you can. You go back and you apply what resonated, what you feel works for you, and what um, you want to develop further. So you know, um, we we really did um, sort of grow. Um, in that era of uh, developing speed and developing technique. And it might sound really silly to some of the listeners out there that, hang on, you're distance runners, what, what are you developing speed for? And, mm. you know, um, there's so many benefits from being uh, able to run fast and relaxed. And, and uh, yeah, we, we really sort of put a lot of years into developing that. So, um so that, and I, I really su- uh, focused on all of those things to make sure that I was um, as fast and fluent as I could be. And so, you know, back in the day, it was uh, sprinters. Um, we would be in these development camps, and we were doing 
um, you know, all the sprint technique drills. And um, I was lucky to be exposed to a few people who were really um, big on on the benefits of those. Um, there was a guy called Russell Parsons, and he was um, uh, the head coach for the junior uh, World Juniors um, in 1996. So he he had sort of established a bit of a pathway of identifying the talent in the uh, 90, around 94, 95, he was started to identify some of the athletes who potentially could make those world juniors and, and start offering these kind of camps. And we'd go there and we had the best sprint coaches, distance coaches. Um, I mean, we were exposed to some incredible um, knowledge. Um, we had uh, Steve Ovet's training partner and I think for a period of time coach, I'm not sure, don't quote me on that, I know that he knew Steve Ovet's training methods uh, intimately because he 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 did a lot of his training with Steve, and they were, remained friends for the rest of his life. And his name um, was Matt Patterson, um, and he passed away I think uh, a year and a half ago now. But uh, you know, Matt was able to give us lots of. He was a Scottish bloke, quick witted, um, uh, wicked sense of humour, and also just knew he's running and um and that's typical scottish toughness he had about you as well so it was great to be around a person like that um then we also had um Joachim Cruz's coach um oh yeah he 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 came and talked to us one day and so we're listening to um this guy uh, for those who don't know is uh, coached um basically one of the world's best ever 800 meter runners really so back in the 80s um and so we were exposed to this and we're out there doing you know, sprint drills as distance runners and we're doing A skips and bum kicks and B skips and hurdlers drills and things like that and speed ladders. And, and um, you know, I'd come back from these incredibly inspired, come back to my training group and, you know, <laughs> you know they must have got sick of me, I reckon, some of my training. <laughs> and then we did this and then, and then we got these speed ladders and I thought it was crazy, you know, um, but we applied some of that stuff to our general routines and warm up routines and, and um, did the little things that I think over time made the big changes to the type of athletes we were. And, um, you know, like I say, Philo Saunders, he's, he's been a part of the same school that I've come from really. And he's had a hell of a lot of success. He's developed that himself as well. I don't want to um, say our training program and, and, and group took, uh, take, takes all the credit for it. Cause he's, he's very smart and um, well-versed. Um, person who I've you know I lived with him for a period of time up in Canberra and saw him working hard at his at his art so um, it's great to see him uh, you know experiencing the success in his um, in his coaching years as well as what he did as an athlete was pretty incredible Um, but yeah you know so um, it's it's uh, yeah a a pretty interesting um, few years and and I definitely like you just sort of talk about um, I do revert back to some of that stuff um when I sort of think about um if someone wants to know about because I was just exposed to a lot of good um uh knowledge and and that's not just the speed quality element but I just think it was really important as a junior athlete to develop that first rather than run miles and miles of what my coach would talk about um as a junior you don't want to get in the trap of running too many junk miles so yeah, it's so interesting. It's really interesting to hear you talk about the foundation you had with the technique side of running because it's one thing that I get up on my high horse about because I'm friends with a, a bloke who runs a, a swimming business called Effortless Swimming and his whole thing's about just developing an effortless movement in the pool. And it's so interesting in sports like swimming and uh, even cycling, you look at tennis and golf, which are obviously highly technical sports one of the first things that you look at is technique. You can get in, do those things as often as you want, but without an efficient technique, there's just so much energy being wasted. And I'm not I'm not sure exactly what the reason for it is. Maybe it's just the the love or the romantic side of getting out there and doing a whole heap of, heap of miles that people fall in love with. But I've been involved. When did I start running? I started running officially in 2000 and no, in the year 2000. And so year 2000, it's 23 years. I reckon that 23 years, there's probably probably only one coach that I had who was really, really not just well-versed, but he was, um, it was a big part of his training routine, sort of like what you were going through there to make sure that uh, we were tapping into speed, but we was tapping into, uh, you know, I guess the name of the business, (laughs) Relax Running, because 
it's it's one of those areas that it's just completely forgotten about, even with high quality coaches in many respects. And I'm not sure it's changing too much with a lot of people, to be honest. I see, I feel the even with the communication that I have with a lot of athletes, a lot of the questions are around training structures and rest days and very, very rarely around technique. I mean, that's changing now because uh, sort of people know that I'm, I'm doing a lot more personal technique stuff, but but the majority of the questions that that come my way through, especially through the podcast, is around that training and recovery. So um, that's a it's a huge credit. And it, I was just going to pick your brain a little bit about that. Like, were there some practical cues that that you took away in regards to running? Because it's always interesting to hear people speak about what they learned about how to run in a in a relaxed way, how to run with an effective use of like what do you say uh, energy distribution i guess because it doesn't take much to see that the best runners in the world like you look at a, a usain bolt or a hishamel garouge or a dave rudisha or Alid kipchoge and it, i mean you look at those even without any knowledge of running and you go okay they all look like they're doing it effortlessly like i'm not 100 percent sure what's going mm. on here and people forget that whether it's natural to them or not the the technique side of running is something that can be developed it can be taught but a lot of people, I think, are so focused on developing the ultimate training plan 16 weeks out from a marathon that um, a lot of us let ourselves down by, by just, I guess, ignoring that technique element of the running. Yeah. <clears throat> I Look, everything you're talking about there resonates uh, with me in the regard that technique um, is something that it, it, it does, it, you don't, you're not just, well, there, there are some people you just look at them that they look like they're just blessed with it. I can tell you firsthand because I was absolutely a student of the sport and I, Russell Parsons, the person I mentioned there uh, a while ago, um, he he said you have to be, to be uh, the best you can be as, a, as an athlete, you have to be a student of your sport. Um, watch everything, learn from everyone and, and look at, where the mantle is of all the standard is. And, and for me, uh, I was entering running, I guess, on the back of the, I guess, 80, 80s era, which, you know, we had um, the Ovet and we had the Coes and um, Elliot's and uh, a range of uh, runners over in the UK that were really setting a fantastic standard, Awedas and, and people like that from Morocco. Um, and the Africans were East Africans were certainly there. And then in the nineties, the and that was my era. The East Africans just started their dominance. And the first thing I noticed with these athletes was how incredibly smooth uh, they were. They weren't always the perfect technicians, but they were so incredibly smooth. Now, what I mean by that is there was some uh, athletes. I reckon uh, one springs to mind, uh, Paul Coach. Um, Paul Coach um, paced. He was often the pacemaker for a number of incredible world record, records from the Haley Gabrisolesi era. And um, Paul Coach had this very interesting arm action, which seemed to be swatting flies away as he was running. Um, and so you could be you, you could be taken with that part of his running and think, well, should I be trying to copy that? Well, not so much because a lot of biomechanists would probably talk to you about how that's taking away from your forward direction. Um, and trying to the the motion of it is trying to pull you off balance a little bit and put you side to side as you're sort of running. Um, but when you looked from the hips down, he was completely fluent and um, smooth as silk. So, um, and so there were other technicians who were perfect. And I think you know the Haley Gebrselesi years. Um, when you look at Geb when he ran, I was just taken with how unbelievable he looked as a runner. Um, he really set this new standard of look at how perfect a running technique could look like. He was five foot four tall uh, and he had knee lift like uh, the best sprinters in the game at that point in time. And, you know, he, he would just bounce on the, on the forefoot um, along as he ran and he just looked like he was floating along the ground. And so it got me asking the question, what are they doing, you know, that was so important to translate into this perfect effortless running um, technique and, um, so when I did get the opportunity to, to get firsthand training and, and, and watching these people run, I, I, and tra- you know, um, I trained with a couple of Ethiopian or ex-Ethiopian guys uh, up in Canberra at AOS and I picked these guys' brains and I did what they did and tried to learn as much as I could. And let me say the East Africans, 
they practice technique daily. Like this is, and rhythm, like little things about what was good about our training group that I can see translated is that there was no racing in training. Anytime we're doing intervals, um, someone was sitting, uh, sorry, someone was leading and everyone else was following and there was no overtaking. It's if that's not your rep, you don't overtake. You just wait until it's your turn to take the, the lead and then you set that pace and everyone's very clear in the beginning what the goal pace should be. So it's it's, it's not a, a racing scenario. But because you're sitting behind one another in this Indian file scenario, you are in each other's stride. You're 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 just tapping along basically. Just like a you know, you see the cyclists who are just sitting on the wheels. They're just they're just sitting there and just holding this perfect position behind the runner. And that's, um, sorry, behind the cyclist in that example. But for us, we were doing the very same. And when I uh, watched and heard and learned about um, how the East Africans are doing it, they do that routinely on their long runs. They would have, in Ethiopia, there was this area they they trained at that um, a guy I used to train with or a couple of guys I used to train with who made Australian teams. Back in 2000, we had um, Mizan Mahari and um, Sisay Bezaba. Um, now, Mizan's since passed away, but um, uh, Sisay um, <coughs> uh, is, is uh, I, he's not a runner anymore as far as I know. Um, I think he's sort of gone into business. But both of those guys um, lived and breathed the Ethiopian training regimes. And there was this long run, even in their long runs, there was this sort of staircase almost kind of um, uh, area they would train that was single file only where they would basically gradually climb the, um, uh, the sort of ascent of this kind of staircase almost that was sort of it was probably I, I, I really don't know I, I wasn't there but I could or if you watch some of these documentaries you'll see what I'm talking about is just um, this where they were just forced on their long run just to stay behind one another and in stride with one another practicing this perfect rhythm that was almost military like you know um, where they were just in in stride with one another so little things about staying relaxed in rhythm was just emphasised with the Ethiopian and um, Kenyan way of, of distance running. They did a lot of that kind of stuff, which then translated into these beautiful performances that we saw. Um, yeah. uh, on top of, <laughs> that's the other thing, like don't get me wrong here, even as the junior athlete days, I look back, I, I trained hard. Um, we did a lot of intervals. We did, um, you know, uh, a lot of stuff that, um, maybe some people would say it would be too much for junior athletes. Um, all I can say is I didn't suffer any injuries that were significant as a junior um, and I got faster and we always trained on grass. We didn't train on synthetic tracks. So there was a combination of things that probably we got the best out of the scenario. Um, but, you know, on reflection, there's probably some people who might say, not nah, too hard. And that's the reason why I probably didn't have the years at the senior end um, as as much as I did at a junior end, but um, I'd, I'd probably debate whether or not um, at my senior end there was other things at play. So you know, um, but yeah. So yeah, no, that's really interesting. That's a great answer. It's it's really interesting tapping into this conversation around the East Africans. I've been going down the rabbit hole on YouTube the last couple of weeks, looking at I can't remember the actual name of the series, but it's a little. I think he's a Venezuelan guy, marathon runner. And he goes and does his marathon preparation in Kenya. And he walks you through it in, in a fair bit of detail as to what they're doing on each day and as to what the warm-up looks like and what the sessions look like and the recovery. And it's really fascinating just to see the areas of focus that these, well, in this example, the Kenyans have just around those things like rhythm that you're speaking about and the technique side of things and not just going out there and smashing a session. And I actually listened to a really good interview with Ali Kipchoge on a podcast, I was trying to find it uh, before. It's called Feel More, Live Better, I think, is the podcast. If you Google something like that, I'm, I'm sure it'll come up. Uh, feel Better, Live More. There we go. There's yep. a great conversation with Ali Kipchoge. And one of the things that he spoke about was not only how how much benefit does he get from running with so many people and how he doesn't always be need to be required to be at the front of the group, despite the fact he's the fastest and some days for him, he just goes out for the social element and forgets he's running. And like all of us, some days he can't be bothered going out, but he makes himself go out. But yep. it was interesting to hear him speak about the technical side of running because for a lot of people, you look at Ali Kipchoge and it's hard to tell which part of the race he's in because he, he often looks as good a K into the race as what he does 37 Ks into a race. And yeah. the podcast host asked him about that. He said, hey, is this just something that you're blessed with? 
and he so casually answered, he's like, oh, no, uh, running, running, at a relax, running in a relaxed rhythm at a very fast pace is something that I taught myself to do. And he sort of he sort of didn't elaborate too much on it, and I respected how simply he put it because I think sometimes one of the things that can be a little bit of a psych out with exercise physiologists or biomechanists is the scientific language that goes on around it. Like I always found that a little bit daunting. And with my coach Joe Carmody, who was the first real introduction that I had to the distance running scene, a lot of the cues that he gave me were were really, really practical. It was very simple to understand. It felt quite easy to implement, at least when you were jogging. It was difficult sometimes when you're under stress and you just want to resort to your own way, your old ways. But Aliad Kipchoge, hearing him say that was a, was a big inspiration, I think a good encouragement to everyone else that, you know, if the, the greatest runner arguably of all time over the marathon is yeah. taking some simple steps to improve the running efficiency in the early and latter parts of a race, it's probably one that we can't look fast. But Man, I remember Cisse Bezabe, and I remember uh, when he was was running around. It's uh, uh, that would have been an amazing experience, getting a, a real deep look into what that East African way of life, uh, when it came to the distance running world, was like. Was there any other things that he spoke about that that sort of stick in your memory? Um, <clears throat> well, Cisse, Cisse uh, when we we're looking at, there's, there were two very different personalities. We we had Mizan uh, Mahari and then Cisse Bezaba. Um, uh, Sisay was very quiet spoken, um, uh, easygoing athlete, really. Um, and he knew what he knew, and he just went out there and trained. And he trained; they trained very hard. Um, the intensity of how they trained for long volumes was um, probably um, interesting. Like they, you know, we talk about now how we balance out hard, easy, hard, easy type um, days in our in our weekly training programs, like. I, I, when I tried to stay astride with, say, Mizan in different training periods um, or with Sisai, um, there was, Mizan would give an example where each day was hard and then Sisai would give an example where, no, he, he disciplined, he was very disciplined in, in staying easy on some days um, and then other days you just couldn't keep up with him. So, um, yeah, very, very different. And I think that's probably the thing, you know, like um, we're all, uh, we, we can we can sort of talk about the whole um, category of um, certain eras of success, um, like the era of East African dominance. Um, uh, but there's varying personalities there, and so sometimes I suppose we can see some good examples of it, and then some bad examples of it. So I tried to differentiate what worked for me. I think that was most important. Um, and uh, yeah, look, um, Mizan was injured. Um, a lot in his career and um, you would probably say that there was probably needed to be a few more easier days in, in the balance he was striking but you know made an Olympic final in the 5k in in 2000 so um, uh, pretty incredibly headstrong athlete um, I would say um, and uh, you know um, I spent a fair bit of time uh, we, we lived together for a period of time, period of time in Canberra. Um, Sisay and myself, we trained on many training camps together, had some really good races and training sessions, you know, um, together when this was a period of time when I was coached by Dick Telford up in Canberra at the AIS on, on scholarship with them. So uh, Sisay and myself were on scholarship together up there. And um, uh, he, he, he was trying to make a push into the marathon at that point and he was involved with um, – international marathon agent and he was uh, uh heading over for long periods on these training camps where um they were doing some, like the marathon is an incredibly grueling event in general <laughs> but yeah. when you look at these barriers that a lot of these athletes uh were trying to make breakthroughs into you know you're talking about CISO is probably looking at um you know 210 marathon type um training regimes and um he's jumping in with athletes who have ran well under that in training and trying to keep up with them you know I think uh from the stories I heard it was another level of training completely so um I learned yeah I learned a lot um uh, how long's the podcast you know but um <laughs> yeah. uh, I think probably more more importantly uh, I listened a lot and tried to apply the things I felt like resonated with me to the training that I was um, uh, doing at the time and the goals that I had to achieve. So um, I, I think, you know, I'm probably not coming up with anything new here, but um, in the world of running um, with uh, or any athlete that's sort of listening right now, they're probably going to get a lot of information thrown at them. 
um, just always keep that uh, critical mind and, and back yourself what you know. You know your life and you know your body and you know your what works f- so far for you um, and, and the people that you trust most to guide you along the way. And, and um, yeah, uh, pick what you think is, is most um, beneficial for you. So I think that's probably what I try to do along the way. Yeah. Yeah. The, the guy that I was uh, talking about before with the Kenyan documentaries, his name's uh, Louis, Louis Orta. Louis Orta. He's got a really big following on here. And okay. one of the things that stands out to me, and you were speaking about, obviously, the, the volume and the intensity that they got, these guys use over a longer period of time. I actually thought you were going to say over the course of just a long run, because what these guys do, they film a couple of sort of 40 kilometers or 30 kilometer long runs. Where I'm pretty sure they're all going out at marathon preparation. They start out as a progressive run. Like they pretty quickly get down to about 345 kilometer pace. Before you know it, they're ticking off like 308s, 309s, 312s. But what's so crazy is to see athletes of that caliber. And there's there's 25 people in a group. And and to hear you speaking about the work that you used to do on a track in that Indian file, it's exactly what it looks like. All of a sudden, they're like a swarm of bees. Like they're just all in sync with each other. And it's like this, you, you can barely hear a thing between strides. It's like every stride matches with the other. And before you know it, this guy, I don't know what he's run for a marathon. Um, I've got a feeling he's like a 210 kind of man himself. And I'm pretty sure he's running with some blokes who have run well and truly faster than that, which is crazy. But even still seeing this bloke who's probably at the back end of that group, just getting towed along for a really nice long run. It's hard to put up an argument that there's not some real benefit in um, jumping in board or jumping on board with a group for some of your training. So yeah, uh, I, I don't know how you felt about that. I, I often like to go out and do some runs by myself. At the moment, I'm just doing pretty much my rule. I'm doing three or four runs a week until about June, like a long run, a bit of a faster session like I did this morning, an easier run. And actually, I might introduce the fourth run. I haven't started doing that yet. And within that, the the one that I always try and team up with a po- uh, like someone or a couple of people is that Sunday long run, because it's amazing how much better I feel when I'm out there with a few people having a laugh, having a chat, then when I'm having a bad day and you get out there and you're about 12Ks in, you're like, oh my gosh, like I feel like I've got so far to go. I get yeah. jealous watching this Louis Orta uh, with the Kenyan athletes because it looks like they've got almost unlimited selections of athletes that they want to go out and run with. Like they don't just have the athletes there. They've got the certain pace groups that they want to run with that for that particular day. So I don't know how much of your running was done alone. It sounds like most of it was was in a group, but was that ever something that you struggled with, just trying to navigate your way through difficult periods of training where you were um, running by yourself? Yeah, most definitely. I think um, you probably, everything you just talked sort of about there, I sort of I think about the benefits of it, um, of training in a group. It's it's There's clearly a long, long list of, being, um, of the benefits there, like motivation, um, the, 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 what you soak up from one another, as far as the group that you're training with, like, and that's what we were really lucky with, um, here in Ararat, we had a really established group and a lot of people were very positive and, um, ambitious in what they wanted to do and had fun pushing one another along and, um, and, and got the benefits from it. But there was some certain rules within the group that there was, you know, you don't race, even though the temptate were competitive, um, you know, people, you know, we, we want to compete and get out there in a, in a rep session and a lot of people just feel like they just need to half step the person next to them and things like that. And, and that's a very natural thing. But um, there was, you know, standards that we all knew that we needed to make sure we stuck to for the long, you know, um, you know, the, the, the survival of the group, so to speak. But, um, yeah, I think throughout my career, again, sort of talking about information that we sort of take what works for you i think that training in groups um and then training by yourself all has a time and a place um uh you know the old saying too much of one thing is never a good thing is probably good to um think about in this case is to mix it up um for key parts um key sessions you can just gain so much from um i think you know uh, running with athletes that are strong athletes who are always going to you know get the best out of you for those key sessions it's a really good you know way of improving um if you can um find people similar to your ability but you know there's a few that are just that little bit better than you um uh, then that's a good zone of development for you you know um jumping into a, a a group that clearly um everyone's you know 
uh, runs 40 seconds per kilometer quicker than you, it maybe might be a bit too much. So um, uh, there was, you know, a lot of distance runners probably from my area probably talk about as well. Um, some of the, the girls we trained with like to really push on uh, the, the long runs along. And, um, and then there was some runners who did really want to run slowly. And that when they were in that group, um, uh, there was some of the girls who really just because that's the way they, they found training was best for them. Um, they would push along. I'm talking about some um, pretty established elite runners. And it was always we, everyone really got along and everyone's going great. Um, as far as getting along goes, um, but uh, as far as keeping the conversation going next to the person you're doing a long run with, and all of a sudden they start half stepping and and um, and running, you know, 15, 20 seconds kilometer quicker than what you were hoping for, then that can turn out to be a bad thing. So um, uh, I know that some of the guy personalities in the group also were just super competitive, and just you knew that they were just gonna throw it down at some stage in the run and you just needed to be very clear on what you were trying to achieve out of the session um and you you know whether you're going to go with that pace or not and um yeah when we we're probably younger runners that we were notorious for doing that we were the ones who everyone probably hated to run with because we just <laughs> were that young ferocious competitive runner who just needed to prove themselves at every given turn and um yeah i remember a run uh turning up to um Stromlo forest in canberra for the first time when Paul Fenn and myself had moved up there with this. Uh, we had a de- Dick Telford had started this development, uh, dis- junior distance running development squad, and it was a really great idea and, and it really helped a lot of us. And I, I moved up there with Benita Willis um, and uh, Martin Dent and uh, Paul and myself. We all lived together a um, period of time. Mizan lived with us as well, and um, they're still in the same house that was because at that time the AIS. Um, it didn't have the funding for us to live on campus, um, all of us, and not everyone had full scholarships, but it was sort of classes, a bit of a part scholarship for everyone who was involved with the, the, the development group, gave us access to the facilities and a little bit of rental assistance that gave us and some travel was um, uh, included there. So it was a pretty good deal for those who, uh, you know, we weren't the best of the best, but they were developing. And so we got up there and um, we we straight away just were just overall we couldn't believe it would come from Ararat and we'd heard about all these poster kind of athletes that would uh you know who would put up on pedestals and next minute you're running out Stromlo Forest with Rob DeCostella and Sean Crichton and um <laughs> and uh some uh you know pretty incredibly um established a- athletes um yeah Susan Hobson um and uh, a number of athletes who were Olympians like dead set champions and um, people we'd aspired to be like and all of a sudden you're going along in a long run. So try and keep the young, you know, the young blokes calm in that kind of environment was uh, was almost impossible. And there, it wasn't too long that Fanny and, my, Fanny and myself were pushing the pace out there and I remember, um, yeah, looking over at uh, Deeks and, and, and Sean and they were just, yeah, laughing because they'd probably been there at a stage in their life as well they you know they'd seen people like us plenty of times maybe maybe themselves I'm not sure how how disciplined they were when they were young bucks but yeah that that was um uh, a pretty good era but it was also one that sort of started the learning about you know what works for you and where's your balance and days to pick running with the group and days to avoid running with the group um they were definitely all factors in trying to balance out um our best training um I enjoyed um, uh, running by myself and still do um, uh, a lot, um, probably more so uh, there's only – you kind of find your groups. You find those people that, you know, you, you could just – it's a it's a no-risk thing to train with them because, you know, maybe the conversation's inspiring or funny and just keeps things rolling. Um, and and they also are at that sort of similar level to you and, you know, you've got similar goals. So it all works, you know, so it's great. So someone might be sitting here listening going, no, I train with the group the whole time because they've found that perfect balance. And mm-hmm. so um, just uh, be in tune with that is probably my advice to be in tune with it and try to find the balance and recognize when it's not in balance because it leads to injuries probably or uh, underperformance or um, you missing the goals that you wanted to achieve because – um, uh, because you you probably um, didn't focus on how your body's sort of going there. So, yep, the Kenyan athletes, I'm sure, 
um, they would say, no, you must train with the group and that's it. Um, but I'm sure a few of them, um, uh, when they're not in that kind of system of development, um, would probably enjoy a run by themselves when they were um, wanting to take it easy. I, we, were, we lived over in Teddington for periods of our training, like with the Melbourne Track Club um, scenarios there. And uh, Bushy Park is in Teddington where a lot of those athletes, like the um, our current guns in, in Australian distance training, will go and train. And, and, and that was really established basically by Sonia O'Sullivan, um, as far as my knowledge goes, and the days where Kim McDonald um, managed Sonia and, and all the Kenyan athletes. And um, so when we go there, you'd see a Kenyan athlete out there by by themselves just running and they they when they're having an easy day and it's just an easy run they might be running six minute plus kilometers you know and they're just happy just to just roll the legs over and then the next time you see them they're running some sort of two minute 40k reps or something like that on the track for repeats so you know like um yes they do run slowly and they appreciate those days I think um they did have to. I, they did have to change their mindset with that time with Sonia Sullivan, um, as far as the story as I heard. Because in in Kenya there was a bit of a thing where if it was raining, you stayed in bed. You didn't have to go to training, <laughs> and so <laughs> because the periods of wet season, dry season was so long. But um, over in when they moved over to Teddington um, in, in London, <laughs> when it, you know it rains most days, you know. <laughs> I had to change that mindset, otherwise they would have uh, put on a few kegs. I'd imagine with that training. <laughs> so, oh man, yeah, it's so funny. It's so funny. And we've all got that experience as well with the the athletes that we've trained in that just want to push that pace. I remember training with a bloke called Ash Watson, and I knew every time he started a session with me, I was like, oh, this is going to be a hard session, just based <laughs> on the fact that I knew it was going to turn into some form of a race. And one thing I noticed, especially as I got a bit older in the scene the higher my levels of confidence were in my own running ability, the less I felt the need to actually go out with a group. And uh, sorry, the less I felt the need to try and keep up with a group. If someone was a sidestep and they were trying to come past me, by the end of it, I was like, all right, well, my goal for this session is to hit 64s or whatever I need to do. I don't yeah. need to be trying to run a sub 60 for the last couple. So you yeah. just let that go. And um, I think as I got older, like all of us do, we, we start or hopefully we start to appreciate the the impact of some consistency in, in running and you learn pretty quickly that if you're smashing yourself every single Tuesday, you know, if you're doing a Thursday session as well and you've cooked yourself on Tuesday, it's going to be hard to deliver a real high quality session week in, week out, which was ultimately the goal. So, um, yeah, but I guess with experience comes those lessons. So it's like, like we were saying about me trying to teach my kids the lessons through the sport, I guess, unless you've actually got a bit of a taste for it or experienced it yourself, it, probably doesn't make as much sense but that was one of the most helpful lessons I had because I, I had a couple of injuries as a young fella and then pretty quickly I think as a combination of both technique work and also like yourself training on a lot of soft surfaces and not going too crazy in every session but certainly going crazy in some sessions um, you know you learn to balance yourself out a little bit so yeah, it's a I tell you it's a, it's a bit of a mystery I think that's what I still love and that's what I love about these podcasts as well is just having the chance to sit down with people of all different levels and skill sets and mindsets and approaches and just hearing the different things that work because um, like where success definitely does leave clues in a, a lot of areas, but there's also like a personal flavor to so many individuals training, which is what I find so interesting about the sport. And I guess sort of just keeps me coming back and asking questions even, even 20 years later. Yeah. Like uh, when you've been in the game for a while, like uh, you and I, I you, <laughs> You're right, clues and reminders um, of, oh, yeah, that's right. You know, there's so much to learn from this this um, sport and it is the it really is the gift that keeps on giving, you know. It, it continues to um, teach us new ways of um, finding how we can achieve something that we're hoping for. And, and also just now, like I'm, I'm approaching 44 now, um, the way I trained when I was 16, it, it's just impossible to train now in that same way. And it's, you know, so many competing things, but my, my body's not the same. It was, um, after, you know, all that, all this time. So, um, I'm learning new, new ways of doing, you know, the sport that I, I do enjoy still, I just still love getting out there for a run. 
Um, and I know that uh, it sounds, you know, that your existence in this topic um, and and the fact that you're going out and going to have a go at uh, the Melbourne Marathon potentially down the track uh, this year. Um, these kind of, I'm not sure, were we on record then when we talked about <laughs> I'll probably just <laughs> come up with a, a, a part that you didn't want to talk about. I'm not sure. Um, but, uh... <laughs> it's out there now. It's, there's, no excuses. It's, there's no excuses anymore. I hope it speaks everyone's memory in September if I'm... Uh... <laughs> but you know like we 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 try to um get the joy out of running obviously and we need to um sometimes relearn how we did it um compared to what we did in the past so or how we're doing it now compared to what we did in the past so um and yeah like i know you've existed in um in football as well and you know it's the uh the over 30s type injuries start popping up and i remember a, a story uh, when I was in, in uni, um, so I'm PE teacher qualified and, and um, we were sitting in a uh, one of the um, physiology of sport lectures and um, uh, we had a biomechanist um, from the Australian Wallabies team who was uh, lecturing us and um, you know, we got this normal lecture whole thing and this guy said, just randomly said, uh, all right, so we're just talking about um, muscle potential and um, it's when when it peaks in power um and it's and uh it's best output basically talking about the age of an athlete and he sort of said um hand up anyone who's 25 or older and at that time in this particular lecture I was 25 I put my hand up and he's he's just made the statement he said your sporting careers are over (laughs) 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 I just went on it is not, you know, I'm thinking to myself. Um, uh, but, you know, that that's seriously as far as what he was talking about specifically. It's just about where the peak of your muscle um, elasticity, power, um, you know, its speed, everything that, you know, dictates performance in sports, um, especially if he was, you know, with the Wallabies, you know, talking about uh, very explosive base sport, he, he was talking about that, you know, things peak around 25, 27 years of age. And so... Um, that was news to me at the time, but it's no doubt over time my body has changed um, a lot. And, you know, I might have been in a bit of not denial when he sort of said that to me, but there was no doubt that around 25 to 27 was where I started getting my first soft tissue injuries that were kind of, you know, I'd belted my body around in training and pushed myself in the race like everything I'd learned up to that point you needed to do to be competitive. Um, and then the body started sort of giving out and coming up with these sort of inflammation or tears or, you know, all this kind of stuff. So then I had to start to think about it and how am I going to, you know, manage these things and, and um, how do I train differently? And I don't think I've got the balance right. And I think a lot of people will be in their running um, careers, be very frustrated along the way, how their body does change. And um, I don't know. Uh, it is a sport that I just can't give up. <laughs> just every every you know um, uh, hurdle that you encounter, as far as any injury or setback goes, you might sort of say that ah, that's it and um, think that you're walking away. But it just keeps on keeps me keeping on, um, really. Uh, and I think that's the thing. You know, you just got to keep on getting yourself back up and just think what's there to learn from this scenario and make sure you apply the lesson and the learning um, so that you don't repeat history. So. Uh, yeah, so uh, yeah, I hope that I hope that helps a couple of yeah. listeners out there. <laughs> yeah, for sure. No, it's a it's a really good point. It's a really good point to learn to adjust the the way you approach it for for that little bit of longevity because it is interesting. We were speaking about this a couple of weeks ago when we caught up about people like Benny St. Lawrence and how they just seem to burst onto the scene in a, a lot bigger way at around that age. So it's just yeah, it's it's such a strange sport which, uh, like I said, said before, keeps me coming back and asking questions, which I guess is the uh, is the beauty of it, but man, I've uh, I've stolen you from your uh, from your other priorities for a little bit over an afternoon now. Oh, a bit bit of an uh, over an hour of your afternoon now. I know you probably got plenty to do, um, so I'll let you go in in just a moment. But uh, dude, hey, thanks for thanks for coming on, man. It was it was fun to sit down and be uninterrupted by a couple of kids <laughs> to have a bit more than a, a four minute conversation till one of our kids has uh, got the other in a headlock. <laughs> that's probably one of the bonuses yeah for sure um just that focus quite now it's indulgent i think thanks for um giving us the opportunity to come in and have that chat and and indulge in a bit of you know ancient history and and um and uh but stuff that's still 
not not um, irrelevant from my life. Um, I still think it's important to that uh, you know share that knowledge of what we've had it because it's not no you might be hearing from one source um, how it's how it is and and it may not resonate with you or you might have some um, reservations about what you're hearing and it's just really good to get um, uh, as much of the information you can so you can make those informed choices yourself so good luck to those uh, listeners out there who are setting up a a goal for themselves um, down the track and and um, I hope that uh, you know everything goes well and you keep putting one foot in front of the other and nothing sort of stands in your way of getting that um, achievement that you're after but um, just most importantly you know um, keep enjoying yourself with the running it is a joy Um, the connections you do make with the people that you come in um, contact with and and share those experiences along the way that's probably the most joyous thing of it Um, and I think you know any runner as we're talking about technique stuff there before um, really important to keep searching for that day of effortless running Mm. (laughs) it just they're the days that when you do strike them I just remember experiencing it as a teenager once it was just you know that we used to describe it couldn't blow a candle out you know because it didn't seem to be gasping as for oxygen as much as you normally would and and it just felt easy so um they're the days that keep you going for long periods of time where it's not going so well so it's so true it's It's the equivalent of just hitting a hitting a golf ball straight down the middle of a fairway yep that's the joy (laughs) awesome man well thanks so much for coming on we'll uh we'll have to do it again yeah, no, happy to. No, but uh, no, good on you, mate. I really appreciate it. Awesome. We'll leave you to it. See you later. See you, everybody. Thanks for listening to the Relaxed Running Podcast. If you're ready to become a faster, more efficient runner, visit www.relaxedrunning.com 